Hey, I'm Nicole, your host of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. On this show, we're going to be talking tangible action that you can take in order to achieve the life you thought was only achievable after retirement. Everything you want now in life, you can have it. Will it take hard work, patience, and uncomfortable growth? You bet it will, but it will be so worth it. On this show, we will be deep diving into the topics of lifestyle design, travel, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. I myself am a global citizen and world traveler who left my home country and conventional lifestyle behind for a life of adventure and following my passions. And that's exactly what I want for you. It's your time to love your work, build your wealth, and create the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. This is our Digital Nomad Digest segment with myself, Nicole Nomadniks, and my host, Cami. So today we are going to do a little bit of an interview style recording. So I'm going to let Cami just take the mic to begin with. She has some questions for me. I have some questions for her. So we're just going to dive in. Cami, go right ahead. Take the mic. Thank you so much. I am really excited for today's episode because I'm going to selfishly use it for myself because I have so many questions about some of the things that we talked in our previous episodes. By the way, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, make sure to go and check them out. They're really, really good and super juicy. And in our previous episode, you talked about how you left um, Canada and went to China because you saw this whole concept of dividend investment and also geo-arbitrary. Is that the name? Geo-arbitrage, yeah. Yeah, arbitrage, yeah, exactly. And I am someone, just to explain to the listener, I am someone who I'm interested in finances and things like that, but I'm really like beginner, really, really a beginner. Like there are, it overwhelms me, you know, like there are so many concepts on it and I really want to learn more about it. And I know that I'm missing out on so many things, so many different things that I could be doing and strategizing about, you know, making a passive income or like investing my money in a smart way and things like that. But since becoming a digital nomad, like I don't have a like renowned bank in which I have my bank account, you know, so that there are so many things that I think that changes when you are investing as a digital nomad. And it's not like I can go to my bank and like ask for a loan, for example, to buy a real estate or something like that, like so many other people they can do because they have jobs and then they can get a mortgage or whatever, you know, and I know so little about that as well. Um, and I think that in Brazil, it's really different when it comes to real estate. And, you know, unfortunately, you just don't grow up with this kind of um, content, which is another topic in itself. But yeah, I think that the work that you're doing and you have so much content on this, I'm just really, really interested to dive into this um, topic, especially being a really beginner. You know, I think it could be interesting to interview you about this and learn more about this topic, um, like investing as a digital nomad and the strategies that we could have um, in a very easy way and digestible way. So yeah, I would love for you to just start off with explaining what is 
dividend investment and geo arbitrage. Please. Mm-hmm, totally. So I am going to try to explain this in the most digestible way possible. But if you feel like for you, it is not digestible at any point, then just stop me and tell me. <laughs> um, because, yes, you know, I we agree. were just talking about this off air when you talk about things for so long, and it's a concept that you really know very well, then sometimes you can just ramble on. I do this to my partner a lot. And then he's like, wait, slow down. Like I need to digest. I need to like understand what's going on. So if you feel that way, then just totally stop me and tell me. But okay. So I know I did share, I believe it was last Digital Nomad Digest episode that um, I left Canada for a reason. And I think when a lot of people hear this reason, it it seems like such a small reason, but it really was something that I wanted to change my life. So I discovered this blog. It is an amazing blog. And this was back in 2015, 2016. So this was a while back. And it's called Millennial Revolution, millennial revolution.com. If you want to check it out, it is a little bit, um, not a little bit, it is pretty high level with investing. So I wouldn't say it's the best beginner resource, but it is a blog that I discovered. And I had no idea at that point about um, really anything with investing or what dividend investing even was. My dad has always been into investing. um, So I've always kind of dabbled in a few stocks in the Canadian market, but that was kind of my knowledge. Um, And then I discovered this blog. And after reading it for a bit of time, it wasn't something that was immediate because it is something you really have to read through and digest. They do a lot of, um, they are digital nomads themselves, but they do a lot of finance. They have a million dollars, which they then went to dividend invest. And from that, they were able to travel the world. So what they talk about a lot is dividend investing and how you can use that to your advantage through geo arbitrage. So what is dividend investing? So dividend investing is basically when you invest in any company on the stock market. So this can be a stock, which means it's one particular company. So that could be Apple, It could be Tesla. It could be a company you've never heard of even. You know, there are many companies that are public that are on the stock market, or it could be something like an ETF. So an ETF is essentially, and if you want to, there are probably so many videos on YouTube if you really want to dive into this more, but a basic overview of an ETF means that it is a group of stocks that are kind of like bundled together, if that makes sense. So the S&P 500 is probably the most famous and probably if you've heard of any ETF, it will be the S&P 500. This is an American stock um, on one of the American exchange. I don't know if it's NASDAQ or one of them. It doesn't matter. Um, And so basically it is the top 500 companies. So the best 500 performing companies in America make up this ETF. So when you buy this one ETF, which is the S&P 500, you are buying all of the top 500 companies in America. And so let's say Coca-Cola is 500. And then for some reason, their revenue, their profit dips down a little bit. So another company will just come in and take that 500 place and Mm Coca-Cola goes out to 501 or whatever other number. So you will always hold the best 500 performing stocks. So this is very safe. And a lot of the time in recent years, it's funny because I've actually heard the narrative for investing change. 
um, because people now say, don't invest in stocks, invest in ETFs, because it is so much safer, because especially for an ETF like the S&P 500, there are ones that are not as safe and are a little bit riskier. But for something like the S&P 500, and there are ones, you know, for the best performing oil companies, and, you know, all the best performing companies, they'll have their own type of ETF. Um, But it's very safe because even if one company drops out of the top 500, top 100, whatever that ETF holds, then another company is going to come in to replace it. So stock investing, where it's just one stock like Apple, for example, can be a little bit riskier. And a lot of the time you're going to want to watch what that one stock is doing. So it's not quite as passive because you want to know, is it going too low that I want to sell or is it doing really great? So maybe I want to buy more. So it's something that's not quite so passive because you always have to be watching what happens to it, especially, you know, a company like Apple or Tesla, you're probably okay to hold that forever. But a lot of stocks are not so well known and are not, um, are a lot riskier. Um, One that I think of is an energy company in Canada years back that I invested in. um, And it was just one stock. It wasn't an ETF. So like a bundle, it was just the one stock. I bought it at a moderate price and then it really went down. And I don't think it's, I sold it a while ago. I don't think it's ever recovered, but that's an example of a stock where you really have to keep your eye on it and see what it's doing. Um, So the narrative lately that I've seen online, which I completely agree with is if you can invest in ETFs over stocks, and sometimes it is pricier because it is a group and it is a lot safer. Um, But it is a best way to go. I would say, especially if you are starting out And, you know, even sometimes these exchanges online can be pretty overwhelming and there can be a lot to them. If you're doing like a Robinhood, maybe less so. Um, But if you're investing through a bank or through an exchange online, then there can be a lot just when you log into the portal. And so just sometimes for that reason alone, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And you just don't want to log in because you don't want to see what is there. And it can be a lot. So um, I already have a lot of questions. Okay. Okay. So ready to have a lot of. First of all, do you have any questions around that that didn't make sense? I have. Um, so first question that I have. So you mentioned the ETF, or was it EF ETF? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the ETF of the like top companies um, hosted, quote unquote, by the US. Can anyone in the world buy into that, even if they are not a citizen of the US? Like how, how does that work? Yeah. So it depends where that company is trading. So for the most part you will, and I don't actually hold the S&P, so I can't be 100% sure on this, but I know that you have to basically have access to that country's market. So for example, if I wanted to invest in the South African, one of their, you know, big ETFs on their market, Unless that's trading in America, which it probably won't be, then I can't, like, I need to be in the South African market. So that means I need to have a bank account because I need to have access to money there. And then I need to create a brokerage account, which can be, you know, your Robin Hoods or in Canada, there's Quest Trade. Um, in America, there's okay, what is Robin? So many. Okay, so Robinhood is one of the many accounts that you can use to invest in America. So America has many options, um, as you would probably expect. So Robinhood is an app 
So Robinhood makes it, and there are many others like it, makes it very easy to just create an account and fund some money. And that money has to come from your bank account. So that's the thing. You do have to have a bank account in that country. And then you have to have a brokerage in that country as well. So Robinhood is the brokerage where you buy and sell the stocks. Um, and then your money will get held in there. And then you can transfer it into your bank account. Um, Robinhood. And I've never used any of these because I'm not American, but you know, Canada and many other countries are more of these apps are popping up. Um, but the fees are pretty high. So, you know, it is a very convenient way to invest, probably the most convenient way to invest because it's very user friendly. It's easy. It's at a glance. It's one button. It's buy. It's not like some of these brokerages that you can use from your bank, for example, where you log in and you're like, what's going on? Like, what are all these numbers and these graphs? What's happening? Um, But I mean, you do pay for that in the fees. So these apps are probably not something I would recommend. But if you do just want to get started out, then that could be a good option. And then you could migrate to something different in the future. Okay, so from what I've heard you say, like I'm going to try to summarize it just to make sure that we're on the same page. So I could either um, invest, like when it comes to dividend investment, I could either invest in one stock or in an yeah. ETF, and that, which is like a bundle of stocks. Um, a question that I have. So when I'm buying a stock, I'm sorry if that sounds super basic, but I, I it's like super, super basic. It's okay. I'm yeah. actually just going to like stop you there because I haven't even gotten to the actual dividend investing part. This is oh just my God. Okay. investing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is just okay. like how investing works. So, okay. and it's, it's very straightforward. I remember years back when I first discovered this blog, dividend investing to me, and it was not nearly as talked about in like 2015, 2016 as it is today. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, what is this thing of dividend investing? But very basically put, and it's not, you know, like a super difficult concept, quite honestly, it's when your stock, your ETF, your whatever you hold gives the shareholders, which is you, a percentage back. So if the company is doing very well and they will list it what before you buy the stock. So like Coca-Cola, for example, um, I actually don't know if they have never bought Coca-Cola, um, but I would think they would probably give dividends. Um, so it's when you buy it, it will show you a percentage. So maybe like, I don't know, 0.3% or I don't know what the percentages are these days, but um, it will give you that percent back. So it depends on the company. It can be every month, which is pretty rare. It can be every quarter. It can be every year. It's usually most of mine are every quarter. Um, and they will give you a small, like a, a very small check back for each of the stocks that you hold or each of the ETFs or the shares that you hold essentially. Um, so it's not a big amount. I will say that you do have to have a lot if you want to make a lot. So for an example, and I haven't looked at what their starting point was in years, but this blog, Millennial Revolution, they ended up instead of buying a home in Toronto, and I would love to have them on the podcast, um, but this is kind of their beginning story from what I remember. Instead of buying a home in Toronto, their investment advisor told them to invest the million dollars because they had a million dollars in different dividend dividend giving um, investments in the Canadian market because they were Canadian. So instead of buying a home in Toronto, which would have been a million dollars and homes, you know, have a lot of additional costs to them. 
Um, even if they didn't have a mortgage, you know, there's still a lot of costs, sunk costs that you need to put into a home. They took that, they put it in dividend um, returning stocks and investments in the Canadian market. And then from that million dollars, I believe they made around 50,000 Canadian dollars per year. And don't quote me on the exact numbers of their story. I read it years ago, but I believe it was somewhere around there. So a million dollars, you're getting 50,000 Canadian dollars around there in returns. And of course, um, those returns, the percentages have changed, but on average, you know, I just want you to get an idea of you're not making, you know, you're not buying a hundred dollar dividend invest, uh, dividend returning stock and getting $10 back. Like it is not that you're great of a like, return. So. Like $1 or like 10 cents. Oh, like less, much less. Like 30, 30 <laughs> um, cents. Yeah, yeah, probably less than that even. So, you know, I don't know what the rates are and it, it depends the rates and it depends on what you're holding. Um, and some of the, like, I don't, I don't know exactly which ones are dividend returning anymore. I don't really buy any of the big ones. So like your Apple, your Tesla, I don't have any of those. Um, but I'm sure they would probably return a little bit more to you. But yeah, you're not making, you know, you're not making a lot of money if you invest like your life savings and it's a hundred or 200,000, there isn't going to be a huge amount there. So you do have to have a lot to get a lot back. Um, but it is something, but it also is taxable also in your country too. Um, so that's important to think about, but that is dividend investing is investing in something specifically in whatever stock or ETF that will give you a small percentage of money back. So, you know, I think I make like a couple thousand a year, um, which is great, but it's not something I'm going to get rich off of. Mm, Okay. Okay. Um, that's really interesting. I have a question that I don't know if you know why, but Mm -hmm. why, why would a company decide to give like a part of their, like, why would a company decide to be a part of the dividend investment company and give this percentage back? Do they receive some type of benefit from it? Or it's just like they're trying to get more people to buy their, their stocks? Yeah. So I don't know the reason behind like why every single company would want to do this. For me, it's more so I know how it works and it benefits anyone who holds it. But yeah, they really want to entice people to buy it. If their company is doing well, if their company is very profitable, then that's something that they can offer is to give some dividends back to the people who are holding it, to the shareholders. Um However, there are some times when the dividend, if the company is not doing well, will be taken away. So that's also something that can happen if if the company does pretty badly, if it performs pretty badly and it is looking like a somewhat bleak future, it can be taken away. Not that that is something that's common, especially if you're investing in something that is very safe, like the S&P 500, like a Tesla or you know something that's very safe. If it is one of those smaller companies, then it can be taken away and it can come back in the future or maybe it won't come back in the future. Um, you know, this is investing. So it's never... As much as your financial advisors will tell you, which financial advisors is like a whole nother thing I can go into, um, but it it's never going to be a hundred percent safe. Um, mm. But you know, if, if you know what you are investing in, then you can really set yourself up well for the future. But it is investing, and there is some risk to it. Mm, okay, and as a digital nomad, you can only invest in the country where you have. 
banks where you have citizenship or you have a passport how does that work in regards to being a digital nomad wanting to invest like okay like if i download the robin hood app i still can't invest in the us because i don't have a bank account there because and also to open a bank account you need certain information so it's not like i can go to the us open a bank account and leave i think um and then how does this also and then the second part of my question is how does this relate to the geo arbitrage thing as well mm-hmm. yeah okay so the first question is where can you invest so in order to open up well first of all you have to you're right have a bank account you also have to have a brokerage account so most of the time i will say it's easiest to do that in your home country where you have the documents they will ask you and every process looks different Um, It's called a KYC process, which is know your customer. And because these are all centralized exchanges, um, anywhere where you will invest is centralized, meaning that the government can basically go in and see what you hold in there. They can tax it. They can, you know, they can do whatever they want. Um, So decentralization is kind of where we go into crypto and it's a whole nother area. Um, But just talking about these exchanges, they are all centralized. So the government, you know, they're all legal. The government knows that they're there and knows what customers or can check what customers are in it. Um, So you will have to have government documents in order to open up any of these brokerage accounts. Um, Mm. It looks different for every country, but I'm just thinking about my process in Canada was a while back. I did try to open one in Portugal, because I'm a dual citizen, um, and I got so close, you know, you have, you need your ID card, you need your passport, um, but they also needed an address and a phone number. Mm. And so for me, that was kind of where um, I couldn't provide that. And then they will also need a tax number. So whether it's, and it, this is where it looks different for every country, whether it's a tax number or a social security number, or that, you know, that main identifying document, that's more than just a passport or a driver's license or a citizen ID, um, they will need that as well. So that is where it becomes somewhat limiting for not only nomads, but really for anybody, because it's so much easier to just invest in your home country because you have all of these documents already. Um but yeah, there, I mean, there's a bunch of different pieces to this puzzle. If you get residency, citizenship elsewhere, depending on what you obtain and what documents you have, and if you have an address there, then you might be able to invest in other countries as well. There also are some solutions for nomads, but that's kind of going into the thick of it. So I won't um, get into that here because that can be, um, that's kind of once you've already employed a new residency or a new citizenship and you've given up your home countries and then there are a few options, but they are pretty limited. Um, but just to keep it on a basic level, that's kind of how it works is that you need to have all of those documents because these, these um, exchanges, these companies need to know that you actually live there. You are a resident there and they want to see all of this documentation. Mm, okay. And why uh, does dividend investing relate to geo arbitrage? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you said you left China, me... you left Canada to go to China because kind of like because of that, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's really crazy. Like that is really the reason. Initially, why I left, it actually kind of changed when I fell in love with China, and I was like, I want to stay here. Um, so what is geo arbitrage? Geo arbitrage 
essentially means that you are making money in any way. It can be money, you know, coming in from any source. It doesn't matter, but you are making money in a currency and or a country, and you don't have to physically be in that country that is higher than where you are living. So let's say, for example, if I am earning money um, in Canada or America, for me, it was Canada, and I go to live in China. Well, the cost of living in China is a lot less than what it is in Canada, especially when you're comparing a big city in Canada to a big city in China. Very different cost of living. So I'm making money in a higher currency and I'm spending in a country where it's not as expensive to live as if I was spending that the Canadian dollars in Canada. So I get to basically just keep more money, more in my savings, more that I can choose to invest, more that I can buy a house with, more than I can, you know, if you want to like eat out every night and spend your money that way, it doesn't matter, but you just have more money in your bank account. So that is geo arbitrage. That is what it is. And I truly believe that you can geo arbitrage from any country you are in. I do think in some countries it might be a little bit more difficult, but if you have the skills, especially in the last few years since COVID, since the rise of nomads, and that's what I love about this movement, is that if you have the skills and if you have something that is marketable, and if you speak whatever language you are wanting to get clients from, then you can be from a country that maybe the salary is somewhat low and it won't provide you a great living in that country, but you can get clients from anywhere on the world, anywhere in the world online, and then you can geo arbitrage your life as well. And I think, you know, a big misconception is that, oh, it's, it's so easy for you because you're from Canada. Well, it wasn't easy. It took me a long time. When I moved to China, I was teaching, I was doing a job that I didn't love. I was not aligned with that job at all. Um, but then I realized, a few years in, you know, I can geo arbitrage my life even more and I can live not only in China, but I can live in somewhere where cost of living is cheaper because China is getting expensive, I will say, Um, (laughs) where cost of living is cheaper and I can have clients who will pay in a different currency that is a higher currency. So I do believe anyone can do it, but it does take work. It did take me six years. You know, I started this journey. I moved to China six years ago. It was not an overnight, you know, I'm from a Western country. So I just, you know, got some clients and it was super easy. Like it did not happen that way at all. I've been doing this for six years. I've been running my business for almost three now. Um, so it's definitely not an overnight thing. So that is basically what geo arbitrage is. Ah, Okay. Okay, so it's basically what a lot of nomads are already doing, but it has a name. Because I didn't know that that like this concept has a name. Because you see a lot of people like making money, uh, for example, in Germany, like they have German jobs, and then they move to Portugal, which the cost of living is like way, way, way lower. And but on the flip side, that's also creating another like other problems in these countries because these people come in with more money Mm -hmm. then um, the cost of living tends Mm -hmm. to get higher because you know they see that there are so many expats there and so they want to um, like up the rents up the prices of food and everything and then the people who live there they can't yeah uh, and i think being able to afford living there in their own yeah i think that's the very interesting thing to me so when i first discovered geo arbitrage This was four years, five years before COVID and before everybody started working online and realizing that this was a thing. So for me, 
this was a very, and for a lot of people, it was a very new concept. I remember trying to connect with other people. And there was one other person, he had lived in Korea. He was from Canada. He ended up also moving to China. One other person who knew this concept, who also happened to read the same blog. Um, and there was nobody else that I could really connect with. And it's so interesting because it's almost become an extreme, I think, in a way, since COVID and since this rise of remote work and being a digital nomad has become a global trend. Um, that you're right. Like sometimes there are those unfortunate repercussions. Um, and I think there is a way to do it sustainably. But when you kind of name something as like a digital nomad hub, well, then everyone's going to flock there. And Portugal is a very big digital nomad hub. So it does start to cause these problems that I think um, before COVID, nobody could have really expected. Yeah, exactly. Because it was like, in so like in all of the like sometimes you even see um, companies that hire remotely like you can work from wherever apparently they understand the place that you're living and then they give you a salary based on um whatever would match your needs and your role for the country that you're living. So I could be living in Portugal, having the same position as someone that's living in Germany or Switzerland. And then, but I would be receiving less money than they are, um, mm-hmm. than, than them, because the cost of living in Switzerland is way higher than in, in Portugal. But right now it's so, Uh, hard to determine what is even the cost of living of a place because it's starting to become really like mixed right because like people are arbitraging their lives and then they are going to these places where in theory the cost of living is lower but it's starting to get higher and everything so and i think that's actually a, a really great solution but of course there are problems to that as well where If you are in Portugal, well, why couldn't you just go move to America or to, to Germany or somewhere where it is a little bit of a higher cost of living as well? Yeah. Um, you don't really know where that person is going to be all the time. And even sometimes having to work on a certain time zone doesn't necessarily restrict that. So I think, yeah, it's kind of like a, a never ending vicious circle of what is the best solution. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't know if I agree with the, the like basing your salary off of where you live. Because like, if the company is remote, like, what if I want to go to live in Switzerland, then I'll be receiving less pay than my colleague that is having the same role doing the same tasks as me. Like, I don't know, it's something that I think we have, we are starting to see new challenges rising from the new type of lifestyle that we're creating and that um, um like the digital nomadism community and lifestyle is promoting so we have like for sure new challenges for example the the rise in prices in these countries where people can't afford to live in anymore like people who were born there have their families there blah 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 they're having to move away or move further away yeah. or losing their homes you know so it is really challenging i think for governments is really challenging as well but yeah we'll see we'll see where this goes but <laughs> but in um saying that um because you were talking about so your idea was to geo arbitrage so you could have more money to invest in dividends was that like your original yeah so it's kind of crazy like thinking about it now because it's like i moved halfway across the world 
because of a blog, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> is what it is. Um, but yeah, I realized, you know, and I never felt truly like fully aligned in Canada. So I think that is a, a piece of it as well. But I realized that if I lived somewhere where the cost of living was lower, wherever that be, and you know, the cost of living is pretty high in Canada, you have a lot of options. Um, so I realized, you know, if I was making an income, any income, then I could live a lot cheaper and I could save some of that money, a percentage of that money and invest it in dividend stocks and ETFs, dividend investments. So that is what I did. I ended up moving to China in 2017 and, you know, fully prepared with my, my bank account to send money home and my investment accounts. Um, and yeah, that's, that kind of was the beginning of, I guess, the end for me of my life in Canada. And I haven't really lived there since. And that was six years ago. And I love not only now for dividend investing, but just for life and the culture and the people. And I love living in other countries and geo arbitrage is still a big part of that for me because for me personally, I've always said it doesn't matter how much I earn. I want to save as much of that money as possible because I want it to go to something, anything that can produce more money for me in the future, whether that be real estate or investments or whatever that may be um, to save as much money as possible. So yeah, that's kind of where things stand now. But essentially, that is why I left Canada initially at 23 years old, because I realized I don't want a life here. And it's also so expensive here that you really can't have much for yourself, especially in the last few years with inflation. In Canada, it's just crazy. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you see this in your home country, but I see so many people in Canada now who are my age, you know, like I'm almost 30 and can't afford to buy a home. And it's so interesting for me because it was such a different scenario when, for example, our parents were our age, were 30 or actually even younger. And not that homes were still extremely expensive because obviously when you like inflation, when you factor in inflation, um, they weren't that, they weren't, you know, $2 for a home. It wasn't something crazy cheap, but it was more affordable. And I actually know my dad, my parents are also, they have many properties of real estate. Um, my dad bought his first home with him and I think it was like two or three other guy friends. And so that was their first property. And I think now that when I see the prices of homes in Canada, even just for like, you know, not a great home um, in like not a super amazing area, it's almost a million dollars. And it is so wild to me, a million Canadian dollars. It's like, who can afford that nowadays? I see costs going up and I don't see salaries going up or, you know, that's the beautiful thing for me when I work with clients, like I can choose what my rates are. Um, but salaries, like you can't really choose that. Maybe you can ask for a bonus and maybe you get it and maybe you don't. Um, but you know, and I think that is kind of where the future of being an entrepreneur and wanting to work online and wanting to do things on your own terms. And that's what I built for myself. I just also left Canada and I don't have to worry about a lot of those things that people my friends and family and people who I see in Canada are worrying about, which is like buying a home and wanting to have kids and wanting to have something stable, but then they have a car and, you know, they can't get a mortgage or they can't, you know, it's, it's, there's so many pieces to it, but I'm just very glad that I opted out of that system. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I love that. And I'm learning so much. Um, I have a question 
what do you think because i really i wanted to ask you some questions on entrepreneurism and you building your business and things like that and mm -hmm. getting clients on a country where you're not living in and i think that could be a very interesting topic especially for anyone who's listening and they want to start doing the same you know so uh but i would like to wrap it uh, like wrap the whole dividend investment things by asking you Like once you started doing this when you were living in China up until now, what do you feel like it's your like top learnings or the top challenges or the top things that you just took from it, you know, that you would say to your younger self now? Hmm. That's a really good question. That makes me have to think. Um, honestly, I would say, and maybe I've already reiterated this a little bit, but I would really just say what type of lifestyle do you want and what are your financial goals? You know, for me, I realized that my financial goal was not to live in a Western country, was not to stay in Canada. And the whole reason I left Canada, which makes people laugh, um, but it's true. And I always say this is I left Canada because I knew what my life there would look like. I knew, and I was 21, 22 years old when I started thinking about this. And you're like, you just hit 20 and you already know what the rest of your freaking life looks like. I knew I would eventually, you know, I'd move up the corporate ladder. I would eventually get married. I would buy a home, have the mortgage. I would have a car payment. I would get a dog. I would have the 2.5 kids. You know, I would maybe go on holiday vacation for one or two weeks each year. And that would be the highlight of the year. You know, like I knew what my entire life looks like. And so now I urge people to just think critically and it's never too late. You know, there's people who are being nomads in their fifties, in their sixties, because they realize it's not too late for them and they want to live an amazing life. And amazing life doesn't necessarily look look like sitting in a retirement home for some people. Um, but anyways, so I knew what my life looked like and I didn't want that because You know, 21 years old, like how sad is that? And I always say I have friends and family back home who are doing that and love their life. And for me, if you love what you are doing, then that's all I want. If you have mm -hmm. the, the kid, the 2.5 kids and the dog and the mortgage and the car payment, like, and you love it and you are truly so in love with your life, then I'm so happy for you. It doesn't matter what you're doing. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, It's so easy to not think critically about what you actually want in your life. It's very easy to just let the days go by. And then when you're 50 or 60 or even 35 to be like, I have goosebumps right now. It's like, I literally have goosebumps. It's so crazy when <laughs> I, I talk about it. Um, <laughs> I just feel like so passionate about it because, you know, you don't want to wake up one day and be like, holy shit what happened? Like, where did my life go? And I think maybe, you know, I've, I've never gone through this, so I wouldn't know for sure. But I think maybe that's where a lot of the midlife crisis stems from, mm -hmm. because you have just let your life pass you by and you go through the motions and you please your parents and you have the baby and you, you know, get the home. And but are you really doing that for you? Or are you living on somebody else's terms? And you know, with them parents and family is like a whole nother portion of it. I've had some really great guests on the show here who their family has not supported them. And I think that's really difficult. And they have, you know, cut off their family for that reason. And I completely support that. But I'm very glad that my family has always been very supportive of me. And it's not that they necessarily want to travel the world, but they 
want me to be happy. And so whatever that looks like, it doesn't have to look like having kids because I'm 30 and which is like a whole nother topic I would love to talk about um, or, you know, having a mortgage and working the rest of my life to pay that mortgage off and being stuck in that, you know, that one mortgage payment or one home or whatever that looks like. And that wasn't what I wanted. So I, I really just urge you and I actually just posted Instagram today. So it's funny that we're talking about this, but I just urge people to really think about what their what I call lifestyle design looks like and critically think about it, but then also just take the first step. It's like, if I have thought six years ago about being here today, it's way too overwhelming all of the years Mm -hmm. and the steps in between to actually just take that first action. So I wouldn't have taken that action. But for me, that first action just looked like moving to China. And I didn't know what the heck was going to happen in China. Like, of course, I can never predict what's going to happen there. But that was the first step. And from me, all of the little pieces fell into play. And it's kind of like, I don't know the exact saying, but it's kind of like the saying of, you don't need to see the whole staircase to take the first step. You just need to take that first step and things will fall into play from there. And I never thought six years I'd be sitting in Paraguay right now for, you know, I'm here for a reason. So I never thought I would be here for the reason that I'm here, but I am. And I'm so grateful for this life I've created for myself. But um, really all of that to say, and I, I know that's kind of a little bit of a rant, but that is the reason why. I started dividend investing and I started to geo arbitrage my life because of lifestyle design. And um, so that's really what I would just encourage people. I feel like that's my message in the world is to just share that because I really encourage everybody to critically, critically think about that for themselves. Yeah, I love, I love, I love your story and everything that you're sharing here, because I think that ultimately why you decided to create everything that you created was because you went into yourself and you were like, okay, what do I authentically want? What is aligned for me, not for my parents, not for my friends, not for my teachers? What is aligned for me? This is clearly not. So I think that all of the, and then once you realize that, I think that you look at your life and the things that you need in your life for example money um, houses and things like that and you're like okay how can I make these things work for me in the way that I think that it's important and there's a guy that I follow I don't know if you he's a financial like a financial writer he's called uh, Ramit um, I don't remember oh, his yeah. last name. Definitely. I just watched his Netflix show and his book is yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. His book is, yeah. So his book is I'll teach you to be rich. And what I love about his content is that he talks about his, the unique rich life that everyone has. So for me, my rich life looks like, I don't know, like having lattes every day, you know, but I don't care about the car that I drive. Like I really don't. I think cars are ugly. Cars are ugly. Like I've always thought that since I was a kid, I've never ever had like the will to have like I love cars because of the functionality of them but if I have like a shitty car or a good car like of course I prefer the good car but you know it doesn't matter for me so I wouldn't really spend a lot of money in cars like I'd rather just spend money in lattes you know and I love that he talks about creating your rich life because it's what he ultimately says is spend luxuriously in things that matter for you and then cut costs mercilessly whatever without mercy in the things that you don't care about so it's not about 
um, like budgeting and you know don't spend on that uh, very expensive latte is like ultimately about you understanding what makes sense for you and what I love about what you're saying is that you did that when you decided to move to China with your Canadian dollars um, saving money but then spending on travels you know like you will buy a plane ticket but you won't buy a home you know because that is what makes sense for you that is what your your rich life looks like and it can look like something different for someone else and that's okay but um, it's really about you uh, having this reflection like your this inner questioning about what is your what does your rich life looks like and I also love talking to you about this because I think that when you share your story, it also opens up the possibility for some other, for some pe for people to think about a rich life that could be different from what they know, you know? So I think it's really interesting, like everything that you're bringing up. And when you're talking about steps, like taking the next step, I would also love for you to talk a little bit more like as if I'm thinking because I'm thinking about like maybe someone's listening to this and they are like in Canada or they are somewhere else and they're like oh I can't make ends meet you know everything's so expensive but this is not the life for me like I don't want to be here and everything and they just listen to your story and they're like really inspired and they want to start a business they want to start uh, finding clients in other parts of the world so they can finally have the mobility you know to go anywhere they, they want in the world so hopefully they can move to somewhere that they are not spending as much as they are earning and then they can have this money to invest or the dividend investment or whatever other type of, of investment they want or save or whatever so what would be the first steps that maybe you took or that you would suggest or inspire or invite the listener to take if this is where they are encountering themselves right now mm -hmm. that's a really great question thanks for asking that so I mean, I think to preface, you know, everyone's lifestyle looks different and what everybody wants looks different. So I think it's really figuring out what that looks like for you. Um, but if you are thinking, you know, like, like you said, I can't make ends meet and I don't know if I feel fully aligned being in this country, then there are so many options that you can take. First of all, I would recommend to look at your finances and really audit. So what I do, and I love this, is every single expense I have, income and expense, I track. So I urge you to do the same. I actually have, I had a custom made tracker in Google Sheets built for me, which I sell on my website. So if you want to check that out, it's really affordable. Um, nomadneeks.com. If you want to grab the same tracker I use, you can program it with your specific categories. So Every single penny that I earn or spend goes in that tracker. And then I can compare and contrast, you know, how much did I spend on food in May? How much did I spend on transport in May? Whatever those custom categories are for me. So I encourage you to look at your finances in that way. I think a lot of people know what's coming in and what's going out, but there's a lot of little expenses as well that are often going out that you don't think about and you don't factor. And that was definitely the case for me before I started tracking everything. Um, and then you can actually compare and contrast that against your income and see how much you actually have in just pure profit in your bank account each month. Um, so I encourage people to do that. So you actually know where you stand. Um, and then 
the next piece of it. And I think, you know, that's sometimes maybe seen as the not fun piece of it, but I think it's making that fun and making finances fun is so important. Um, but then figuring out where can you go with whatever amount of money you have left over at the end of each month. And there are so many options now more than ever. I actually have a blog post I just released about some of the best digital nomad visas on my website. Um, but it's not only digital nomad visas because there are so many countries like Georgia is a great example where you don't need a visa. You can stay in Georgia for one year for most countries, not every country. I think it's about 95 countries in the world, visa-free access for 365 days. So that's a pretty good deal. Like you don't even have to apply and go through the process and spend the money and do the wait time for a digital nomad visa. Um, That's a country where you can literally just go and cost of living is much cheaper than in any, you know, high cost of living country. Um, Colombia also has a really affordable, I think it's one of the most affordable digital nomad visas out there. And Colombia, we were just there a few weeks ago, is definitely a place where your money can go a lot further if you have clients from different places in the world. Um, so there are so many options in countries like you are not limited at all. Go anywhere in Southeast Asia, go anywhere in, you know, South America where we are right now. Like you pretty much have every country at your disposal, except for a few Western countries is a great way to think about it. And for me personally, I'm from a Western country. I really don't have a desire to live there again full time. Um, So I basically have the whole world at my disposal, which is amazing. Um, So really just figure out what your finances look like. And then from there, what do you want to do with that? What is your action plan? And that plan is going to look different for everybody. Um, so I can't say, you know, you have to do this or there's one best way to do this, but you do have options of where you want to go. And maybe you don't want to stay somewhere. Like you don't want to get the Colombian digital nomad visa for one year and go live there for one year. That might seem very overwhelming. Well, I would encourage you to listen to our last podcast episode last Friday, <laughs> where we talked about there's no one right way to be a digital nomad. If you want to you know, be there for two months in Colombia and then go back home, that's okay. And kind of reassess and see where your head's at and then maybe go back or maybe go to a different country. There's no one right way. Just because I live out of a suitcase doesn't mean that you have to, you know, and that was exactly what we talked about on our last episode. Um, But yeah, I would really just encourage you to figure out what your lifestyle design looks like and the direction you want it to go in. And again, really just take that first step. But one thing I did want to say, and when you were speaking, Cami, is I'm very transparent about my finances and my expenses as a digital nomad. I have a few pieces of content on my Instagram where I broke down everything that I, it was my expenses for 2022, a full-time digital nomad. I think we were in 12 or 13 different countries in 2022. And I shared exactly how much I spent. And I believe it was around 15,000 US dollars for one year. Granted, my partner and I, we do share accommodation. So that's split 50-50 for one year. Yeah. So traveling full time. Yes. The accommodation is like I paid 50%. So for a single person, it might be a little bit more, um, but that's Airbnbs. If you want to go in a hostel or somewhere else, then it could be the same price as what I paid. So there is so many affordable ways to live this lifestyle. I don't want, you know, I think a lot of people have the misconception of 
if I'm a digital nomad, it means I'm going to be spending a lot of money. It means I'm going to be, you know, on planes all the time. It doesn't need to mean that. It can mean that if that mm-hmm. is what you want it to be. Like you can spend a lot of money as a digital nomad. Yeah. It's possible, <laughs> but yeah. you can also not spend a lot. And I was wanting for nothing in 2022. You know, I ate out a lot when we were in really beautiful places. I would eat at the restaurants there. We would go for drinks. We stayed in Airbnbs. Um, basically the whole year, a few hotels, but basically Airbnbs the entire year. So, you know, it's not like I was living on the streets or something like that in these countries. Mm -hmm. So I do just want to say that it's very, very affordable and um, it doesn't need to be expensive at all. It's a big misconception. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. One last question, because we talked about the scenario of the person that, you know, already has clients and already knows how much they are spending in their country, but knows that they can with the job that they have. Maybe they're a freelance, maybe they have their own business already Um, with the money that they have. They know, sorry, with the job that they have, they know that they can move to another place. But what about the person who is in a nine to five right now and doesn't have a remote job? And they want to start either freelancing or they want to start their own business. What would you recommend for this uh, specific person? That's a great question. And that was me. <laughs> I I actually did have a remote job, but that was while I was in China. Um, and it wasn't something that I actually planned for at all. But that's a different story. Um, so I've really never worked remotely as a digital nomad. It's always been myself, my business, my clients. Um, so I would say, you know, you do have to think ahead and be prepared. A lot of people really want this lifestyle, but you can't just quit your job. Um, because then, you know, even if you have savings, you want to have at least something coming in. Um, at least I did. If you're very risky, then maybe that's for you. When like you know me. some people that does fuel them, and yeah, maybe yeah, you know if some the people fuel them to dream. say yeah. <laughs> to be like I have no income coming in, but I am going to make it happen. And if you really trust and believe in yourself, then like some people that really puts the fire under their ass. So like if that's you cool. But that was not me. And I am definitely not that risky. So I would encourage you to really start thinking about what it is that you can do. And remote jobs do take, and of course, not in every situation, but they do take a a little while to find. I would say like six months to a year is what I've heard on average to find a remote job just because they are in such high demand. So I encourage you, you know, if you have skills, monetize those skills. Or if you're interested in something, maybe you don't have the skills yet, but you're interested in something, whether you're interested in um, email marketing platforms, maybe you've used a few, you've worked with different clients in the past and you're very comfortable navigating some of them. Well, that, that can be something where you can make good money, but it does take time. It does take um, a lot of work and effort and Even if you build this into a business and you're like, okay, it's time for me to be a digital nomad and travel, the life is not just all travel. You know, I think any digital nomad, I have this conversation all the time with a digital nomad because it's so funny. I think the misconception is so like, I'm on a beach, I'm traveling. Um, Mm -hmm. No, like half the time I'm here working and the other half, maybe I'm out exploring or I'm doing things I need to get done or I'm like cooking, whatever it may be. But 
it's not just all travel and fun and work or travel and fun. It is work. Um, so I think, you know, even as you begin the digital nomad journey, just important to keep in mind that you will be working. Um, things will get stressful. You know, being a digital nomad is just another element to your work. Um, you know, there are days when they're travel days. And so we have to wake up early and then we get on a plane and then the plane is five hours and then we have to get on a bus and then we have to find the Airbnb and then the taxi. And it's just like, this could have been a whole day where I could have been working, but instead I chose to travel to a new country. So maybe that means I have to stay up late and work till 3am. Or maybe that means I'm going to be a little bit more stressed and I have to learn how to deal with that stress for the next few days until this work gets completed that I could have done this one day, but instead it was a travel day, you know? So I think managing those potential misconceptions is very important as well. Um, but yeah, I really just encourage everybody to figure out what they love and how can they monetize that and what would people pay for? I think a lot of people don't do market research these days. I did so much market research in the beginning of my business. It was initially a coaching business three years ago. Um, I feel like that was like all the rage back then. Everyone was coaching. Um, but yeah, I did so, so much market research and it made me realize that people don't need coaches. People need somebody to get the work done, to actually do the work. And that is what somebody will pay for. And um, and I've always loved digital marketing and the services I offer are something I was always interested in. But without doing that market research, I may have never got to where I am today. So I think that is a very big overlooked um aspect of having a business as well is that you want to be offering something and advertising something and, you know, building the website and putting all your money out for something that people actually want. Um, so figure out that skill, do the market research. And I mean, there's, there's so many pieces of the puzzle. I'm not going to go through everything now in my exact journey, but, um, it is possible. I believe like anything is possible, but it takes a lot of hard work. And I will say, I believe that being an entrepreneur and a business owner is not for everybody. Um, I think it's very easy online to see people who have these big build, big businesses and are making 10K or 5K months or whatever it may be, or 100K months, even some people. And we see that side of things, but there's also a side of things where a lot of people quit. A lot of people go back to their nine to five. A lot of people, you know, it's, it's, that's the side of things that we don't see that I think is important to keep in mind. And I'm not saying that to say, try to build something and then go back to your job. But I'm saying that to have realistic expectations and know that you have to work freaking hard to make it happen and to make it work. I love that. I love that. And one thing that you were, while well, you were talking about um, the challenges of being a digital nomad and working at the same time, like I remember that one day I saw this meme that I sent to all of my digital nomad friends, which was like, I don't remember exactly. I think it was like someone like reading like a cartoon reading a book and then like a wave uh, behind them. And it's like the it's like you trying to visit the city that you're in. And then the wave behind you is like the amount of work that you have to do, because uh, it's so interesting, because since I have started traveling this way, I don't really know what it is to like be a tourist, quote unquote, anymore, because like I feel like I go to the places to be in a cafe or like being like some cool spots that I can sit down and work but then not really do like touristic stuff because I don't even think that like I have to visit a place I don't know it's like really weird I remember this time recently I was somewhere I don't remember where and I was like 
I because it was like a city that I didn't know and I was like oh my god maybe I should visit some of the most important things and I was like what are the most important things like what is it oh I think I was in Athens and I had to be like kind of like a tourist in Athens but I only stayed there for one week but I was still working so I was like trying to visit Athens while working being in a hostel where everything was like all of my stuff was thrown everywhere you know it was so like it was one of the most overwhelming weeks that I had so like in my journey so far I hated everything about my life like I was so hot because it was like summer I was hot I was sticky I was like not understanding not liking Athens like I really didn't like it but and then I was trying to visit it but then working at the same time and it was so overwhelming and I think that people don't really realize that you're like visiting a city but at the same time you're not a tourist there but at the same time you're also not um like a um a, re- a resident you know you're someone who's living there for some amount of time but you don't know the city like the palm of your hand but at the same time you also don't have the time to just like get on a boat tour every single day for a week you know and just like ignore and neglect your work so it's kind of like a balance that you have to learn how to find and I think that it gives you a lot of positive things like time management you know like you learn how much time you take to do some tasks that otherwise you would have just like "Ah, I have the entire day so I can take the entire day to do this but then when you want to visit and explore and go to the beach because it's a super day super nice day you're like okay I'm just gonna really focus and finish this in three hours so I can spend the rest of the day exploring and enjoying and yeah, it's just, and some days, you know, it's like really nice out and you have the entire day of working and you really can't go, you know, and your friends are all out. So it is uh, for sure something that comes with its own challenges. But I absolutely love everything that you said. I think the market research um, piece of it and um, the way that you evolved, you know, in your journey is so interesting. I know that we're in the our one hour mark I still had have so many questions that I'm sure we can make another episode all on entrepreneurship I think that a lot of people they they ask me a lot like where do you find clients how do you make money you know I think that that could also be a very interesting um, episode for us to create because yeah I just love your love your journey and your story it's so so inspiring and so so interesting to think of like you 20 the 23 three year old you like i want to dividend invest you know like i saw this tiktok recently of this little kid that um was like i think he was 13 years old and he was telling his parents like ah stop giving me like how much was this christmas gift and then they said like ah it was 100 and they were like and he was like okay if you um take like 10 years into account and you don't give me uh gifts for for like 10 years and you put this 100 in my bank for the for college then i have like x amount of money and everything and it's like you you know like this little kid of like 13 years old 23 already thinking about dividend investment and everything it's so interesting because when i was 23 i didn't even know what to do with my (laughs) salary you know yeah it's it's so true like even when I think back on it I'm like oh my gosh it's so funny but I've just always been very I'm a very like type a person I'm sure you can tell and I've always just been very interested in personal finance and I don't know that was just always like a very fun topic to me and so that led me to moving to China which 
no regrets, but uh, yeah, pretty like unconventional, I think, for most 23-year-olds. But like I said, you know, I saw the trajectory that my entire life was on and that wasn't cool for me. So yeah, I think there's so much more we could talk about, but we'll leave it at that. And then maybe we'll do a part two or something like that. Um, but thank you for all of your questions, Cami. They were so, so good. I hope I gave you and the listeners a lot of things to think about. Um, if you made it this far, then let us know, head to our Instagrams and comment, send us a message. Um, if you have any questions too, I always love when listeners or anyone on social media messages me with questions. Um, and then those are things that we can answer in the future on other episodes as well. Thank you so much. This was really fun and really, I could really understand, like really digestible. So thank you so much for sharing. Good. I'm glad. Well, this has been another episode of the Work, Wealth and Travel podcast, our Digital Nomad Digest segment. We will see you next Friday for another episode. If this episode has served you in any way, I would be grateful if you share your takeaways or what you have learned from this episode by tagging me on Instagram at nomadneeks. If you haven't yet, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and leave a five-star review. This helps me to continue creating inspiring and educational content for you in the future. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast.